So as we pick up in Acts 24, let's just do contextually kind of pick up where we're at. And so Paul's been shifted around from place to place, all while undergoing trial. The, the uh, accusations against Paul was that he was stirring up like strife and controversy and uh, stirring up division inside of the temple as he was going to worship. Uh, Dharmic preached... Uh, several weeks ago about uh, someone coming to, <clears throat> this was pre-Paul's trip to Jerusalem, and someone came to Paul and said, hey, I'm going to, and they did this prophetic demonstration. They're like, I'm tying myself up right now. You're going to be bound and tied in Jerusalem, and things are not going to go well for you. And Paul's like, okay, that sounds great. I'm going anyways. Uh, and so he does that, and then he uh, gets arrested, and people start making up these false accusations. Just like we've seen all through the book of Acts, the Jewish people uh, who who didn't believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah, are out against Paul because Paul is proclaiming very boldly that Jesus is the promised Messiah that they had been waiting on. <clears throat> so he had a hit out on his life. He was going to get transferred. Um, uh, people said, we're going we're gonna to kind of jump on him when he's getting transferred. And so he has to get transferred under the cover of night. All of this happens. And now he's sitting before the governor of this area, Felix, um, to stand trial. As we pick up Felix, uh, as, we, as we look back, Felix, Governor Felix is not remembered well by history. Uh, unless you are very pro uh, like Roman oppression and very pro, uh, we're not going to let any controversy uh, strike up. We're not going to let any insurrectionists strike up uh, because Felix wanted nothing to do with that. If there was ever at any point uh, just little murmurings of insurrection or murmurings of, um, hey, this, this sect is going to try and rise to power, all of them dead in an instant. He was not hesitant to do that whatsoever. He was known of squashing people like this. Uh, and, and there's a historian, uh, Tacitus, Tacitus, um, uh, ancient historian, that says, uh, says this, Felix was a master of cruelty, cruelty and lust. A master of cruelty and lust, specifically to people who were leading sex trying to be raised up. And, and then he's sitting there. We get, uh, later on, we get with, uh, we learn about his wife, Drusilla. And Drusilla's uh, kind of uh, got a little bit of a history herself. She's ethnically, we find out, Jewish. Um, and so probably pro the people that are opposing Paul. But she has also had the shady circumstances of, uh, of her kind of manipulating. And she really wasn't, she um, Felix is not her first husband. It's not her second husband. Um, and so there was this, all this manipulation to come into power and uh, abandon her former husband and woo Felix. And so all of that in mind, that is who Paul is standing trial with for the crime of insurrection. That Paul tried to raise up this sect and get and stir up this strife and Felix was known to squash it down. And this is who Paul is pleading his case to, bound in chains, claiming innocence, restricted from the thing that he, is, he would like to do, which is be a witness for God and go and worship. That's why he wanted to go to Jerusalem in the first place. And it would be very easy in this moment, if I am Paul, it would be so incredibly easy for me to want to shrink back and just say, how can I say as little as possible 
to not indict myself, and as little as possible to not, uh, not get killed and escape this with my life. But if we know our friend Paul, Paul doesn't have the gene of whatever the opposite of meekness in him. He's very bold, but bold in the best sense of the word. And so uh, he, he's claimed to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots uh, among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. These are accusations. And Paul's response, I think, is telling for uh, what we might be uh, invited into. Now, I talked about this a few weeks ago. I'm struggling in the moment to remember what chapter it was that we were on. But uh, I talked about our obligation as Jesus followers to be witnesses. We've talked about this throughout uh, the book of Acts. That that's what Jesus' commands were in Acts chapter 1. Go and be my witnesses. Go and be my witnesses. Locally, globally, all of it. Go and witness who I am and what I'm doing. And, um, and we talked about a few weeks ago the invitation for us to be a witness through both word and through deed. To be a witness through word and through deed. And as I looked at the chapter, I think that that might be the, the, the high point for us as we talk today. Uh, and Paul gives us a, a great example of, of what this looks like. So uh, pick up with me in verse 11. So he has these accusations against him. He, he has people saying, you tried to stir up uh, controversy and, and you're a troublemaker, you tried to stir up a riot. And here was his response in witnessing with word and with deed. He says, you, verse 11, you can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere in that city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making <coughs> against me. So in this moment, Paul was able to point back to the specific situation that's being talked about and able to confidently go, I know for a fact that my conduct I know for a fact that the way I lived my life is uh, I'm able to live in good conscience right now because what they're saying isn't matching up. You can go ask witnesses. You can go ask people like the way I lived uh, spoke to that. That people would be reliably able to uh, witness on his behalf that he conducted himself in such a way that was able to bear witness to his testimony. And he claims that, he, that, that the people around, the witnesses, could easily verify, meaning they wouldn't have to go digging for like, well, if we kind of bend what Paul did in this way, maybe we can see it in a good light. Or if we give him the benefit of the doubt, uh, maybe, maybe he can get off the hook. But no, what he's saying is like, you could easily go verify this, meaning the outpouring of my life has been such that I have pointed to living above reproach. And this is Paul time and time again through his life, that uh, not that he was perfect, but he ordered his life in such a way that people would be able to go back and say, well, you were at least consistent throughout your life of following Jesus. You were consistent on what you stood for. You were consistent on what, who you trusted in. You were consistent on how you operated. And the outpouring of his life uh, was pointed back to who God was or who Jesus was for him. Not just like his great oration, not his, not his wisdom, not the words he was able to use all the time, but in this moment, Paul is able to look back on his conduct and it's able to be a witness for Jesus. 
And I think this is a, re- a really incredible thing because think about the transformation that had to take place in Paul's life. If you think about who Paul was before he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul was uh, chief of sinners is what he says, uh, persecutor of Jesus followers, persecutors of those following the way. Uh, Paul was, in the moment he, um, he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul was actively on a trip on his way to the city of Damascus to round up Jesus' followers, to throw them in jail, and, and, and to potentially, he's, he doesn't hold anything back. He's like, I'm, I was aiming to put them to death. I was so against them. So in some ways, Paul's prior life, he's like, I was a troublemaker. I was stirring up riots. I was doing all sorts of stuff. But now, Paul, what happened? He encountered the person of Jesus. And as the encounter took place, he's transformed. God gives him a new name. Gives him a new life mission. Tells him to go be his witness. And so Paul is able to speak to the magnitude of transformation that can take place, the magnitude of God's grace, the immense weight of glory that is able to be interacted with in these moments as he goes, listen, I, was, I wasn't, I was just, I was worshiping. I wasn't stirring up controversy. I was just, I was worshiping and, and proclaiming God's truth. I wasn't aiming to, to make you mad at one another, but he can, he can do this. Uh, because of the way that he conducted himself. Now, here's the thing. In order to, two, three months from now, have your conduct be such that people will be able to look at it and go, uh, wow, there's something different about that. That's not something that you can back into. We have to, as Jesus followers, we have to let our lives be affected now so that then people are able to look at our lives that have been affected and go, what is that all about? We get to be witnesses to the truth and beauty and hope and glory and greatness and grace and mercy of Jesus through our conduct, through our deeds. We can be a witness to Christ's saving power, just like Paul was a witness to Christ's saving power, by not necessarily what we say all the time, but by how we live our lives. And I think the invitation here inside of, inside of this is pursuing holiness in our conduct, in our lives, pursuing holiness. And I know in the age that we live, holiness, I think, gets an unfair but, but a bad rap. Because a lot of times, if we're being frank, holiness gets a bad rap because people following Jesus hold uh, people who are, who are very vocally not following Jesus to the same standard of holiness. That's probably not fair of us. If I'm playing golf and you're playing uh, basketball, uh, I, I can't hold you to golf rules if you're playing basketball. That being said, I think Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I think Jesus is the hope of all the world. I think Jesus is the way forward for us. Uh, But I think holiness gets a bad rap because Jesus followers hold non-Jesus followers to the standard of holiness, even though we're not knocking it out of the park ourselves. And, and, uh, and, And then they're like, what, you're trying to change my life? You're trying to change my actions? What are you doing here? When in reality, what needs to happen is an encounter with the risen Jesus, just like Paul, and then everything else will transform as a result of that encounter. So holiness gets a bad rap 
But I think there's an invitation for us in this space as Jesus followers to pursue holiness, to pursue godly living, to pursue living lives that honor God because we're obeying God. We preach and proclaim, I do it all the time, uh, that Jesus is good and gracious and merciful and, and has the keys to life and is the author of salvation and worthy of our praise and our surrender. But how much weight can claims like that hold if the ones claiming them don't look like they've been uh, altered in any way whatsoever? See, bearing witness to Jesus means taking the commands of Jesus seriously. When the world says things like, go and get revenge because no one else is looking out for you, Jesus gives the command, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When the world uh, says, cut corners, get ahead, cheat, nudge, elbow out, Jesus gives us the the invitation. He says, don't bear false witness and operate with integrity because God is the God of truth. When the world says to to gather as much as you can and consume, uh, Jesus says the love of money will suffocate and kill you and has no road to life. When the world says hoard and isolate and, and keep at an arm's distance when the world gets scary, Jesus says, Look, look at the birds. They don't, they don't sow or reap story in barns, and yet I still feed them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So he gives an invitation to, to trust and, and be at peace. So as we bear witness to the love of God manifested in our lives, it should absolutely transform every part of our life. It means that when, if, if someone had no clue that you went to Connection Church, that you went to church, period, that when someone looks at your life, there ought to be a reasonable expectation that they can go, I can't maybe put my finger on it, but I can say certainly that there is something different uh, about your life. That you have, you have surrendered yourself to something far higher because uh, it just looks whole cloth different than the world around us. So we have an opportunity to witness to the beauty and the hope and the glory of Christ through our deeds, through our actions, through how we live our life. So my question for you is how this week can you go and display Christ and, and be a witness to the love that he has manifested in your life through the way you live, the way you act, how you serve others, your demeanor, where you're not downcast all the time. Every decision that you make is an opportunity to witness to who Jesus is to you. So we have an opportunity to witness to, Jesus, uh, witness to the beauty and the hope of Jesus, uh, to bear witness for him on the earth through how we live, through our deeds. But then Paul doesn't leave it there. He gives the other uh, dimension. Um, and that's through our words, through our speech. <coughs> he says in verse 14, so he goes, you can look at my conduct and you can notice that there was something different about it. But also, verse 14, however, I admit, so now he's using his words to proclaim it, that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. 
what we now know as Christianity, which people call a sect. I believe that it is in accordance with the law and that it is written with the pro- in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as the, these men themselves here, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive to keep my conscience clean before God and men. Paul is a living example here of what Peter talks about in his first letter, where he says, be prepared, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have in you. Paul does not let, he's great at this, not letting an opportunity to proclaim God's truth and the hope of the cross go wasted. Again, his first inclination isn't to shrink up and just let his actions speak for themselves. He, he says, all my actions can speak for themselves, and at the same time, let me tell you about this hope that I have. I talked about a few weeks ago how we have an inclination as hum- humans, I find, to, to lean on one or the other really heavily. We either want our, our deeds to be the total proclamation of the gospel. Like, I'm just, I hope and pray that people at some point find out uh, that I follow Jesus and that I'm doing these kind things and that I'm living in a transformed life. I hope that they find it out and, and I'll just kind of do things here and there and I'll live a different life. And then we never proclaim him with our words. And, and so there's a possibility for the, the hope of the gospel to lose its, lose its power in that. But then on the, on the other side of the coin, and it's two sides of the same coin, on the other side, uh, I, I see people who are, who are proclaiming the hope of Jesus constantly. And then they are just massive jerks. And their lives are, are completely untransformed by who Jesus is to them. And so I, I think it's human nature to lean towards one or the other. I think it's human nature, but I think the invitation as we move towards wholeness in our journey of sanctification is to get better at both of them. It's to get better at both of them. That, that if I'm raising my hand, um, uh, of which do you lean towards more? I, I'm, I like to be a real friendly guy. I, I love to witness Jesus through my actions. And I think some of it, if I'm being frank with you, I think some of it might be uh, due to fear or laziness or that sort of thing. Like maybe if I, maybe if I pay for the car behind me. They'll, they'll like, that's a pretty hopeful thing, like it's a pretty generous thing. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll hear about Jesus that way. I, don't, I, I think there's some not good parts in me that, that, that lead that a little bit. Um, but I hope as I move into maturity that I'm constantly practicing both of them and that I find a healthier center for both of them. And so here's what Paul says. Is he's talking about proclaiming the gospel through our words and being a witness through our words. He kind of gives a story. He talks about the law and the prophets and how Paul uh, would have grown up in the Jewish faith and so learned the law and the prophets and he went to uh, rabbinical school. And so he was an expert in the law and an expert in what the prophets said, an expert in what they were talking about. And so God was working in the Old Testament, building a story that ultimately we know comes to its final and hopeful conclusion in Jesus. And so Paul's like, I, I'm, I'm trusting the same thing as you, Jewish leaders. And he, he knew that there was a Messiah that was promised and coming. And then he goes on, he connects with them more, and he says, and now I have my hope in God. And, and he, he goes on to say that, like, we're, there's a God of the universe that created anything. We're on the same page here, and, and that's where I'm putting my hope. 
That's where I'm putting my hope that God has redeemed, that God has uh, sent a Messiah, that God is in the process of making all things that are wrong in the world right. And and then he begins to dig a little bit uh, further. He says he's putting his hope in an eventual resurrection. And, And at some point, he can substantiate back to the fact that, like, and I know this because uh, maybe you don't want to believe this, but Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. And now his life has been transformed, and he says he strives to keep a clear conscience before man. Because of the transformed life, we, uh, Paul says he's got two obligations. He's got to live the transformed life, and he needs to share it, the transformed life. And I think that is the, the beckoning of us this morning, that we have obligations as Jesus followers to, to both live the transformed life, take Jesus' commands seriously, act like they mean something to us, and at the same time, share the transformed life. Loved people, uh, just it bubbles up and, and it, 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 it beckons that sharing out of them, that this is a hope for all mankind. I think sometimes maybe us inside the church or, or those outside the church kind of view Christianity as a, as a multi-level marketing type thing, like, like Amway, like we just need to get people signed up under me. I need to share the good news of me so that I can live with a clear conscience that I've shared that good news. And then once I get that person under me, uh, they can share the good news with somebody else and they can share it. And like, I've been absolved of my responsibility because look, I shared it with this. But if we really believe that this, that Jesus is the hope of the world, That God, through Jesus, is reconciling the whole world to himself. That there is no purpose in a life lived apart from God. If we claim to believe those things, then we ought to be compelled to share about them with those around us. If we really believe that if we really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus has done what he said he's done, then then our response should be a compelling to share these things with others. I think so often we get wrapped up in in this idea that that it's a commandment, and that sometimes feels like, like yucky. Like if I tell my boys, go clean your room, what's their human response? You can't tell me what to do. And I'm like, it's good for you. Go do it. And they're like, I don't want to. And I think that's our response. Uh, but what if instead of viewing it like that, of like a, we have to go do it. What if we viewed it like we get to go do it? You mean Jesus. You have... Uh, so synthesized and made it so clear and easily receivable. Abundant and eternal life. You mean that Jesus, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and keep in mind, those were trespasses and sins against God. You mean that Jesus offers us hope and restoration when we actively and willfully broke that relationship? You mean to tell me that, that then he died the death that we deserve and was raised back to life after receiving the punishment for not his sin, but our sin. 
And now he offers us back into relationship with the lover of our souls, the author of life, the one who is sustaining all creation now. You mean all of that is true, and for some reason, you have invited me, who, who I don't even have ties on my shoes because I can't keep my life together. Like if I, my shoes would be untied all the time. I can't do a single thing for myself. But you mean you have invited me into the process of that redemption by giving me the ability to share it with those in our world who also need that hope and also need that restoration and also need that grace. You mean uh, we've been invited into that? I remember one time as a high schooler, uh, uh, some bands, it was a larger church that I went to, and they had a, a concert venue, or a, a, a group, several groups come in from the local Christian radio station. They held the concert at our church. And I, I don't really like concerts now, but as a high schooler, it's like, yeah, anything. And uh, they were looking for volunteers to work the merch table. Has anybody worked at a merch table at a Christian concert before? Am I the only one in this room that has worked a merch table before? Wow. Well, let me tell you my experience, I guess. I was paid the handsome sum of zero dollars. Okay? Zero dollars to, to sell this band's merchandise. Forty dollar t-shirts. Do you know how thrilled I was? to get to stand behind that little thing and go, oh, you need a large? Yeah, let me get it for you. Oh, you need a, you, you want two shirts? Let me get that. No, we're out of stock. We're out of stock. Like I have anything to do with it. And I was so proud to be associated with this band. Let me tell you what kind of connection we have. I cannot to this day remember what band that was that came in and played. I have no clue. But I was thrilled just to be a part of the process. And here's the invitation today. Jesus is going, you get to be a part of the process. I'm redeeming all that is lost. I'm reconciling all that is broken. And here are are the words of eternal life. And I'm giving them to you. Just go and share them with others. And our response is so often, now, that makes me kind of uncomfortable, Jesus. I, I don't know if I can do that. We are, by human nature, good news sharers. Think about the last time you have been an evangelist for something. I, I, I shot a... Uh, personal best out at Harrison Park the other day, I cannot shut up about it. And I'm not even that good at golf. So if that's the case, how much more for the hope of a meaningful and purposeful abundant life here on earth and eternal life enjoying God in his presence forever? So think with me through your coming week. Who can you verbally share? And it's not, I'm not asking you to just start conversations from scratch. I'm asking you to build Jesus into the conversations that you're already having. 
We talked a few weeks ago uh, about how uh, the gospel is a 10-ton message, and, and we shouldn't necessarily always try and uh, fit it across a one-ton bridge. Um, Paul gave us the great reminder of maybe just build a new bridge, but... Uh, we ought to break it up as we're in relationship with people, with our coworkers, with our family. We ought to break it up and do, share a little bit at a time of how God's working in our life or what God is doing in and through us. And maybe if you're like, I have nothing to share. I don't feel like God's working in my life. That's a great place to start. It's a great place to start. Ask God to work in your life. Ask God to transform something. Something that you know isn't, isn't honoring him. Something you know that isn't glorifying him. Start there and then, and then watch God do it and then share that with others. The message of Jesus ought to transform the way that we live and then it ought to transform the way that we talk. I was reminded, uh, I was doing premarital counseling uh, with a couple this week, and I was reminded uh, from Francis Chan that uh, marriage is an opportunity to both display the gospel and preach the gospel. I thought that was a really succinct way of uh, of saying that we we ought to display the gospel and we ought to preach the gospel. So we ought to make it known through how we live, and then we ought to make it known through how we talk. And I think if we're being honest, this all feels a little bit overwhelming a little bit like we're never going to be able to measure it up. We're never going to be able to witness perfectly. We're, we're going to fall short. We're going to scrape our knees. It's going to be rough. Uh, and uh, bearing witness to God's love in this way might seem just a, a hint of impossible, but I'm grateful for the fact that it was made possible through the one that bore the ultimate witness to God's love. The work is done for us. Jesus willingly uh, bore witness to God's love through his sacrificial death on the cross. In our job now, we don't have to do the work of redemption. Our job now is just to point to it. To point to the one who did bear the ultimate witness. To point uh, to lives that are transformed by that witness. To point to uh, people who speak differently because of that witness. Bearing witness to the truth that we are far, far, far worse sinners than any single one of us can imagine. And simultaneously, we are far, far, far more loved than we could ever fathom. So as we close our time today, uh, I want to spend just a couple moments in prayer uh, because we feel this pull of, I want to speak the gospel, I want to live the gospel, and it's this tough pull. And so I'm just going to pray for each of these groups, whatever side that you uh, identify with more clearly, of like, no, I'm a pretty words-heavy guy, or I'm a pretty uh, life-and-deeds-heavy guy. Uh, I I want to spend a moment praying for you. So uh, just bow your heads with me, and I'm going to describe some things, um, and I want to see where we're at. So I want to start by uh, praying for those who are good with words, who, who always seem to be able to inject the hope of Jesus into conversations, who, who always are, are God is coming to top of mind when you're talking to people, when you're, uh, when you're counseling people, when you're walking with people. Uh, but maybe, you're, maybe you struggle uh, obeying Jesus' commands. Maybe you struggle a little bit to, 
to, to take Jesus at his word and to, to trust him. Uh, if you feel like that's the camp that you reside in, of like, I, I feel like I'm constantly talking about him, but it's a little bit harder for me to live for him. Would you just slip your hand up? I want to kind of get a, a feel for, for where we're at. Let me, let me pray for <coughs> those of us that might fall into that group. God, we're grateful for the gift of eternal life, the hope that we have found in you. So I pray now for my brothers and sisters that are truth speakers, uh, but struggle often to be uh, truth livers. Will you now in this moment empower them that will you work in their hearts and lives? Will you allow the transformation, the hope that you have done in them to just be the thing that bubbles up and overflows into their lives, into their relationships, into their family, into their homes, into their workplaces? That you'll begin to bring into alignment the the truth that they proclaim and the life that they lived. We know this is impossible on our own, but we trust in you for it. So we ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Now, what about those who maybe uh, are really, really good with their actions? Really, really good with their deeds. People uh, might say about you, they're a really kind person. They're, they're a person that, like, I like to be around them. They serve well. They're always dropping everything and helping others. Um, but uh, maybe you struggle to, to share why that's the case for you. Maybe you struggle to, uh, to go, you know, I've got this hope because of a person named Jesus that took on my sin and suffering on the cross and, and defeated death. And, and now I've got a hope past this. And, and maybe you struggle to use the words of your mouth to proclaim the gospel. If you feel like that's the category you fall into, will you just slip your hand up uh, for me? Let me just pray for those of us that fall into that category. God, we are grateful, again, for the representation of transformed hearts that are lived out tangibly uh, for Vermilion County to see. And so, God, I ask that as you have given just opportunity after opportunity uh, for those of us who, who fall into this category to love and to serve uh, with our work boots on, all sorts of ways, Lord. Will you allow us the boldness to take it a step beyond that and share the reason for the hope that is in us? God, I'm reminded of your Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He was not ashamed of the gospel. So Lord, forgive us of any shame that, that sneaks into our life, of any way that we're worried that we might be viewed or mistook for uh, someone proselytizing, Lord, but uh, will you instead replace that with a supernatural boldness as we love and serve others and love and serve you that we can also proclaim with our lips that you are Lord. So, Father, I pray for all of us. 
pray for all of us in here, regardless of what camp we fall in or if we're somewhere in between. God, will you grow us into maturity? Lord, we are submitting ourselves to that process right now. Asking that even, even from when we leave this week to when we return next week, uh, Lord, we are going out with expectation for opportunities to, to serve and to speak the hope of the gospel, to point back to your love on the cross. Lord, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot do this apart from you. So it's in you that we put our hope and it's in you that we put our trust. I ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. So as we wrap up our time together, uh, a couple things. Don't forget that uh, those recipe cards are out there, but... um, yeah, I, I focus in on that. Encourage one another this week to, to hey, how are you, as you see one another, we see each other in the community all the time. So how, how are you loving and serving? How are you speaking the name of Jesus? Finding opportunities to do that. Um, and so as you go, go in the grace that, uh, that you are a far worse sinner than you could ever imagine. And simultaneously, you are far more loved than you can ever imagine. Have a good week.